Hello, one and all, and welcome back to the J Notes Blast podcast. I am your host, Jared Woodcox. Really looking forward to getting things going today. Um, we are in the dog days of summer as far as NBA basketball is concerned, uh, Jazz fans, but I do want to talk about some exciting uh, news relating to you know Jazz players playing this summer. Uh, that's going to be point number one today. Going to talk a little bit about the Big Three Championship, uh, which is going to feature both Joe Johnson and Al Jefferson, former Jazz men, uh, playing for their team triplets in that championship game. Also want to talk about Donovan Mitchell and Team USA. Um, a few things there as we get closer and closer to uh, the FIBA World Cup getting started um, at the end of the week this week. Um, that'll be point number one. For point number two, uh, really want to dive in and talk a little bit about the Utah Jazz schedule. I know that it's been out for a while now, but want to dive into a few things there. Specifically, want to talk about three things that I like and three things that I don't like about the Jazz schedule. Um, we're a little bit of a spoiler. I do like it a lot more than last year's schedule, uh, so that's good news. But there's still a few things that you know cause a little bit of concern, but overall it's looking good. And then for point three, uh, this one may be coming out of the blue a little bit, but I actually want to have a bit of a chat about Don. Dante Exum. Um, there's been a few articles I've read about him in the last couple hours, actually, and has made me want to chat a little bit about my opinion on Dante Exum in this upcoming season, and I think you'll enjoy some of the thoughts I have there. So without further ado, let's not waste any more time, and, and we'll jump into today's episode. Point one. So if you guys have listened to my last few shows, uh, you're probably sick of me putting in a plug for the big three. Uh, but I, I just really enjoy it. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, obviously, it can't compare to the competitiveness or the excitement of you know the NBA season. But it's been a really entertaining way to get a basketball fix throughout the summer. And that's been even more true given the fact that the team I adopted at the beginning of the season, Triplets, uh, has been far and above the best team in the league. Um, you know, I'm used to cheering for underdogs and things like that, but I guess I finally picked a winner. Um, it was easy to pick triplets, you know, because of Joe Johnson and Al Jefferson being on the team, um, as well as other players that I liked on there as well. So, you know, such as Gennaro Pargo and Jamario Moon and Alan Anderson. Uh, but anyway, you know, mostly obviously headlined by Johnson and Jefferson, two, uh, you know, big time jazz favorites. It's been really fun to watch them. And uh, lo and behold, they are headed to the Big Three Championship game on Sunday. And I'm actually really looking forward to it. Um, Joe Johnson has been an absolute thrill to watch. It was uh, made official today. I think we've all kind of known it, it, it was going to happen, all those of us that have been following the Big Three. But it was made official today that Joe Johnson is the Big Three MVP. Uh, so pretty awesome news for him. He really tore it up this year, had some incredible game-winning shots. Uh, the best one, if you didn't see it, came a few weeks ago um, against the Three-Headed Monsters when he hit a four-point shot, a four-point step back uh, to win the game. They had been down by double figures. Then it was 46-48. Joe Johnson had ball in hand and closed it out right then and there, and it was really exciting. Um, if you haven't watched the Big Three, there are three four-point circles uh, that the players can shoot from, and it always gets the crowd really excited when they make it from there, and, it, and it's pretty cool. Personally, I hope they don't ever, uh, you know, invoke the four-pointer into the NBA. Uh, for the big three being the league that it is, I think it's perfect and a, and a nice little uh, extra aspect there. Uh, but anyway, so triplets, you know, the Joe Johnson, Al Jefferson's team, they're going to be taking on the Killer Threes in the championship game. And the Killer Threes were kind of an interesting team. Um, they had some ups and downs in the regular season, but they did end up nabbing uh, that number two seed. Uh, thanks largely to them finishing out the season strong. And they have some recognizable names as well. Um, obviously, you know, most Jazz fans, NBA fans will know Steven Jackson, um, who's, who's been really their, their leading player this year. Also, C.J. Watson, who played for quite a few different teams, um, including uh, the Indiana Pacers 
uh, back in those Eastern Conference Finals years. And then they also actually have a little bit of a local connection as uh, one of the players on their team, Franklin Session, uh, or Frank Nitty as he's known, did actually play briefly at Weber State University. And he's actually a ton of fun to watch. Um, obviously, you no, know, has not been able to make it into the NBA. Uh, but like I said, he, he's a really entertaining player to watch. Great handle, good passing, fun scoring. So all in all, the killer three should be a, a good matchup for, for triplets. And what's even more exciting, at least in my mind, is that the, the two teams did not meet in the regular season. So this will be the first time they're going head-to-head. -head. And, um, you know, all throughout the season, triplets, a lot of times they'd get off to kind of slow starts and then they would fight their way back and Joe Johnson's heroics would lead them to victory. Um, that was definitely the case the, the first time they played the three-headed monsters. That was the game I alluded to where Joe Johnson hit that four-point step back to win the game. Uh, but when they played the three-headed monsters in the playoffs just barely uh, this past weekend, um, really the triplets were ready for them and took care of business quite handily. Um, but obviously with Killer Threes, they've never faced them before. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can just get the jump on them right away or if they are going to have to kind of come from behind as they've done in other games. Um, either way, you know, it's going to be a fun to watch and, and really entertaining to see Joe Johnson, Al Jefferson, you know, former beloved Jasmine back in action. And even though I know the big three is not is not equally as competitive as the NBA, um, seeing Joe Johnson in action really makes me wonder if he deserves a spot in the NBA. Um, we know some of the struggles he had, especially defensively, his last year with the Jazz. Obviously didn't get much of a chance with the Houston Rockets um, after he was traded to the Kings and then picked up by Houston. Um, but I still feel like he's a guy that can get you a bucket when you need one. And, and obviously his veteran leadership and his presence there, I think there is a, there is a spot for him in the NBA, um, whether he gets picked up for you know a late playoff push or whether he does make it on a, a roster before the season starts, we'll see. Um, obviously there is some hesitancy with his age and, and again, some of the things that he showed last year. But he's had a heck of an audition with the big three despite the, you know, the lower level of competition. He's shown that he can still ball, he can still hit clutch shots, um, he can still take on just about anybody in the post. And I wish nothing but the best for Joe Johnson personally. I hope he does get on an NBA roster because he's just so entertaining to watch and he's made this summer and big three and triplets really exciting. I should also mention too that former WNBA player Lisa Leslie, the triplets coach, won coach of the year. So all around been an awesome, awesome year for triplets and exciting to see. Um, with that said, let, let's actually uh, shift a little bit. Um, as much as I love talking about big three, let's talk a little more focused on current jazz men. Uh, namely, I want to talk about Donovan Mitchell and uh, you know the current state of Team USA. Obviously, there was a bit of a shock as Team USA had a massive winning streak, a uh, 78-game winning streak snapped um, in international play when they lost to Australia in the second scrimmage. Um, this loss obviously came on the heels of, of a pretty convincing win over Australia, um, but it was a bit of an eye-opener because obviously we know there's been this narrative all summer long that Team USA is as vulnerable as it's ever been. Um, you know, since NBA players have been allowed to play, we saw just all the players that, you know, declined invitations or, or backed out and wanted to focus on the season. And obviously that left Team USA with kind of a young and inexperienced group. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of players that obviously aren't all among the elite in the NBA, though those certainly they're all very, very close, if not there. And so you can definitely see why this has been a year where there's concerns about how Team USA is going to do. And that loss to Australia, I think, really kind of solidified that too. Um, but I would say my message to anybody that may be worried, and, and I think there's certainly reasons to be a little bit nervous, but my, my big message is not to panic. You know, I, I still feel really good about Team USA's chances, about Donovan Mitchell's chances as well. I'm going to talk about both of those, but let's just start first with Team USA. And I think for one thing, you know, Coach Popovich, he's still trying to find the right 
combinations. Uh, the starting lineup was different in all three exhibition games that we just saw, the two against Australia and against Canada. Um, you know, players are, are still really unfamiliar with one another, and they're, they're unfamiliar with this sort of stage. That's, that's a big thing, too, is for a lot of these guys, it's the first time they've really played international ball in this way. And, and a lot of the, you know, veteran leaders that a Team USA would typically have all opted out. For Kemba Walker to essentially be the senior guy on this team uh, and the main contributor that, that's a little more experienced than his colleagues, uh, that says a lot. And that's nothing against Kemba Walker, but it just goes to show how much you know, talent and how much skill uh, you know, Team USA has lost. The big reason why I'm not too worried, though, is, you know, like I said, take Australia, for example. Uh, those guys are very familiar with playing one another. They've played internationally together, you know, several times, whereas Team USA is really kind of being, uh, you know, thrown into the flames here. And when you look at the group uh, that the United States is in, they'll play the Czech Republic, they'll play Turkey, and they'll play Japan in the, in the group play. And obviously you can't take anything for granted or assume anything in the game of basketball. But really those are three games that Team USA should win quite handily. And so in essence, they have three more, you know, obviously they count and they're important. They're not exhibition games. They, they can't be complacent, but they have three games where they have quite a big margin of error and quite a lot of wiggle room, where I really believe that Team USA um, can still build some more chemistry. They can get their footing underneath them a little bit better. And like I said, they have that wiggle room in these three games of group play to really get things sorted out even further than they already have. So in that regard, I'm not too, too concerned at all about Team USA. I think they're going to turn it around. They'll certainly be challenged if they have have to face, you know, Australia or Spain or France or Serbia, um, you know, once they get past group play. Um, but I think by the time they get to that point, they're going to be a much more cohesive team. They'll have things figured out. A few things I am worried about them. And, and you know, obviously, I feel like you can't make excuses for this team. Um, you could try to say, hey, you look, they weren't that locked in in that game against Australia. They just played them. It was on Australia's home court, essentially. Those are all true, but we're talking about a team that's full of NBA players. Uh, so really, we, we, we shouldn't be making excuses for them. But that aside, and ignoring any excuses, some of the concerns I have are, one is just, uh, you know, the front court um, of Team USA. Um, you know, Miles Turner looked fantastic in the first game against uh, Australia, and he looked fantastic in the game against Canada, but he really struggled in that second game against Australia. And really, um, Team USA just does not have that deep of a front court and not that physical of a front court. We saw guys like, uh, you know, Aaron Baines and Andrew Bogut, you know, really have their way with, with uh, Team USA's bigs, and, and the physicality really, really was detrimental to them. So that's something they're going to have to watch out for, especially when they go up against, you know, uh, Jazzman Rudy Gobert, or if they happen to go up against against uh, Nikola Jokic uh, with Serbia, for example. So definitely that's one area of concern. The other one I have is just, you know, the, the guards on the team, including Donovan Mitchell, they can't try to do too much. You know, they need to be unselfish. They need to be looking to use the, this very stacked and deep team that they have. And honestly, I think they've done a pretty good job for the most part. In fact, maybe in some instances they've been a little too unselfish, um, but it's just something they have to watch out for. They can't fall into the trap of trying to do too much ISO, of trying to do too much themselves, because as a whole, obviously with Team USA being fully comprised of NBA players, they're the most talented and deep team in the FIBA World Cup, and they need to act like it. Um, they need to show up and they need to trust in one another and just really take care of business. Uh, real quick, switching gears to Mitchell. Um, you know, I think the biggest concern Jazz fans have had watching Mitchell play with Team USA is that inefficiency seems to continue to be a trend. Uh, but once again, maybe I'm being lackadaisical about this, but I, I'm just not too worried. Um, really, the biggest thing with Mitchell is his three-point shooting hasn't been where we want it to be, in, in my opinion. And part of that is sample size. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, just a, a handful of games, um, it's not all that uncommon for someone to have a bit of a three-point shooting slump. 
And, you know, if we look at his shooting in these most recent three games, he went 6 of 15 from the field in the first scrimmage against Australia, uh, but just 1 of 5 from deep. Then 4 of 10 from the field and 2 of 5 from deep uh, in that second game against Australia. Then the, the latest game against Canada, he went 6 of 13 from the field and again just 1 of 5 from deep. And, you know, looking at those two games that were wins, if Mitchell makes just one more of those five three-point attempts, all of a sudden, in the first game against Australia, he's shooting nearly uh, 50% from the field and 40% from three. In that game against Canada, all of a sudden, he's shooting over 50% from the field and, again, 40% from three. So to say that one make or one miss is the difference between him playing well and him playing poorly um, really isn't fair and really isn't accurate um, because, really, like I said, he was one shot away from having a very, you know, what we would say efficient game looking at the box score, and he did so many other things extremely well. Um, I will admit that he needs to cut down on the turnovers. That's been a bit of an issue for him in uh, in these these exhibition games. Um, but really, he has looked to get his teammates involved. I thought he's passed the ball very well. Um, he, he didn't do so great on defense in that second scrimmage against Australia, though the whole team was pretty bad in that one, if we're being honest with ourselves. But in the, uh, the former game against Australia and the one against Canada, he looked really solid on defense, which we know is an emphasis of his. And so, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is, by and large, I think Mitchell is doing a lot better than we may seem to be giving him credit for. And again, when you look at how deep this team is, uh, Mitchell still is among the leading scorers almost every single game, even if he's not torching the other team for 30 points like we sometimes saw him do with the Jazz. He's just not in a situation or scenario where that's realistic. These are all, uh, you know, premier players. They're, they're sharing the scoring, you know, pretty consistently. And I think if Mitchell just keeps things up the way he is, he's going to be just fine, and so is Team USA. And then taking what we've seen in, you know, this international play so far, once Mitchell gets back into the groove of Quinn Snyder's offense and he's more in the familiar waters and, and you know, the, the game plans and opponents he's more accustomed to with the Jazz, um, and especially as he gets used to the spacing he'll have with Conley and Bogdanovich, he's going to be just fine. Um, that said, um, this upcoming season really hinges on whether Mitchell is going to be just fine, as I just said, or whether he's going to be incredible. If Mitchell is just fine, the Jazz are going to be a good team but they aren't going to reach their ceiling. They're not going to reach their utmost potential. For the Jazz to do that, they need Mitchell to be incredible. And if fans are expecting to see that right away, um, I can see why there might be a little bit of you know, skepticism or disappointment so far this summer. Um, that said, I would say not to put too much stock into what we've seen in summer play because once Mitchell takes what he's doing now and adapts to the Jazz, I think, like I said, he's going to be just fine. He's going to very much have that potential to not be only fine, but actually become incredible. Um, so I'm still very much excited for Mitchell. You know, if he takes the leap we're hoping him to in his third year, if he can maintain it even close to that 26.5 points, nearly 45% from the field and over 41% from three that he closed out last season with from January to the end of the year, um, the, the Jazz could very well be the best team in the West. That's how, you know, that's how impressive Mitchell was to end last year, and that's how impactful he could be on a much deeper Jazz team if he's able to accomplish this upcoming season. So anyway, it's been fun to have so many uh, Jazz-related things to watch this summer between the big three and, and Team USA, and obviously Joe Ingles playing for Australia and Rudy Gobert playing for France as well. We'll get to see more of them as the FIBA World Cup continues. Um, but anyway, that, that's it for uh, point number one. Let's move on now to point number two and dive in a little bit to the Utah Jazz schedule. Point two. 
Okay, so for point number two here, I uh, want to really look at the Utah Jazz schedule. Again, I know it's been out for a while now, but um, just want to give a few of my thoughts on it. Really want to talk about three things I like and three things I dislike. And I'll be intermixing those as I go through. And a lot of these are going to reflect from an article I did on the jnotes.com, uh, you know, just a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I think they're all, they're all very much worthy of discussion and want to get a little bit deeper here on the podcast as well. Uh, but the first real positive about the schedule is kind of a combination of things. Um, but, you know, the past two years, December and, you know, parts of November as well, but really December has been an absolute gauntlet for the Jazz. Um, their schedule as a whole has been, just been brutal. It's been so top-heavy. The Jazz have gotten out of the gates so slow. And that top-heaviness has been not only, you know, a lot of consecutive games, a lot of road games. It's been extremely tough opponents in those road and low-rest situations. And so it's just been really discouraging to see the Jazz pretty much be dealt a terrible hand from the start, having to play, you know... Um, catch up from there. Obviously, it was really fun to see the Jazz have a light schedule down the stretch uh, two years ago and go 29-6 and six to close out the year. Um, that was exciting, albeit unexpected. Um, but I think we'd all agree that it would be nice to see the Jazz really hold the top spot all throughout the year. And so with that said, one of the things I really like about this schedule is that it's, it's much more balanced than what we've seen in prior years. I'll get into a little bit of the early season difficulties they'll face in, in my second little thing here. Um, but for the most part, it's a lot better than what we've seen in recent years. And December, for one, is going to be much lighter than what we've seen typically. In that month, the Jazz are going to play seven games at home and seven on the road, so it'll be a nice split. Uh, their longest full road trip that month is going to be just three games. And, and during those three games, they'll face the Hawks, the Hornets, and the Heat, uh, You know, which none of those were playoff teams a year ago. You can say the Heat might be. Perhaps the Hawks are going to really reach their young potential and be a playoff team this year. But we're talking East playoff teams, if that. Uh, so really won't be too challenging of, of a stretch. So just as a whole, between December being a lot easier than we're used to the Jazz seeing in, in recent years, and, and even more so their full schedule being a lot easier to digest, a lot more balanced, a lot less, you know, grueling road trips and, and consecutive games. I'm just feeling really good about the Jazz's chances of not having such a slow start and really being able to maintain, you know, a, a really good look all throughout the year. That said, that brings me perfectly to the, the first thing that I don't like. And I know I've just, you know, gone off on you about how, you know, the game's a lot more balanced, excuse me, the schedule's a lot more balanced. Um, you know, December's not a gauntlet like it has been. But I will say the first 22 games of the year are still a little bit challenging. Um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Jazz start out about 11-11 or maybe 10-12. and um, That said, that's still not as bad of a hole as we've seen them get into early. You know, especially when I've mentioned into December in recent years, they've really, um, you know, left that month with a poor record. So even a 11-11 or 10-12 start this year wouldn't be too bad. And who knows, they could do much better than that. All I'm saying is that the Jazz play a lot of really good opponents in those first 22 games, including within their first five games, they'll play both the Lakers and the Clippers, uh, who figure to be, you know, tough teams right off the bat. Really, there's not going to be hardly any pushovers during that stretch, too. It's going to be mostly, you know, challenging teams, whether they're playoff teams or not. And then, of course, the one thing that's going to be difficult is that the Jazz are going to be introducing a lot of new faces, obviously, with, you know, Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich and potentially Royce O'Neal all being inserted into the starting lineup. That's three new starters um, that are going to take some adjusting together. 
So with all that adding up, just know the first 22 games might be a little bit challenging, but going back to the first uh, you know, positive I mentioned, it's still not going to be nearly as daunting as we've seen the past couple of years. It's a much more balanced schedule overall. We get a lot of those tough games over you know, really quick instead of dragging out a bunch of back-to-backs and a bunch of road trips uh, during the first part of the season. And so I'm feeling really good despite the, that, that tricky stretch. I believe that once the Jazz hit game number 23, they're really going to soar from there and stay pretty even-killed for the rest of the season. Um, the next positive, and this kind of goes along with the same thing I've just mentioned, uh, but it's that the Jazz are tied for the fewest back-to-back sets. Um, you know, last year they played in 14 back-to-back sets. Uh, this year they only have 11, uh, which you know is tied for the fewest in the NBA, which is really great to see. Um, you know, the the back-to-back games can be a challenge, especially when you're going you know two road games in a row or even road to home. Whenever there's travel on those back-to-backs, it's going to be pretty grueling for the team that's experiencing that. And it felt like last year a lot of times the the Jazz just had this rotten luck of you know not only were they playing on a back-to-back, but it was a, a team that either you know a really challenging opponent that they had to play on a back-to-back or someone that you would imagine they could beat uh, but it was a back-to-back and so the schedule kind of hurt them that way and so it's nice to see that that's not going to be so much the case this year Obviously, the league has made a really big focus on, on trimming those down for the entire season. In fact, the average went down to, to 12.4 across the NBA as opposed to 13.3 last year. So really, back-to-backs are being cut down dramatically, and it's great to see the Jazz being one of the primary beneficiaries of that this season, especially after a pretty challenging schedule last year. Um, along those lines, though, it's kind of funny because I feel like every positive here kind of uh, produces its own negative as a result. The Jazz also happen to have the most miles traveled of any team in the league this upcoming year. They're going to travel over 50,000 miles throughout the course of the regular season. And, you know, part of that has to do with the lack of lengthy road trips and the, and the lack of, of back-to-backs. Because if you're able to hit a lot of those cities out east in one fell swoop, um, you're not going to be going back and forth as much. Whereas the Jazz are going to be doing a lot of back and forth, a lot of travel. And then, of course, when you are a, a West team that's, that's pretty isolated, you're, you're a little bit further away from, you know, your other opponents. Um, I mean, even in the Northwest Division itself, the Jazz have to travel all the way to Portland, all the way to Minnesota. Um, you know, OKC is not, not extremely close compared to some other teams out in the Eastern Conference. Um, how close they are to one another. So really just the, all that going against them, the, the Jazz are going to be traveling a lot. And I said this a lot last year when the Jazz got off to a slow start. I just think it's so funny how we so often forget that these players are human. Um, I mean, how many times have we been on, you know, a mere vacation and we have a flight that gets in late and the next day you don't want to, you don't even want to get out of bed. You want to sleep in. You don't even want to move. You feel groggy. You feel horrible. Well, these guys are traveling like none other and having to get up the next day and play basketball against the, the best talent in the world. Of course, human nature is going to be, they're going to have some struggles, um, you know, with that kind of heavy travel and things like that. So I would just say, you know, we could see on, on a few of these road trips, a little bit of weariness. Um, I'm sure the Jazz are going to be very much strategic and methodical about potentially, you know, using load management and resting players in some of these situations. Um, but anyway, that, that's just a negative that, that is a little discouraging. The good news about it, though, is that if I had to choose between having the most back-to-backs in the league or having the most miles traveled in the league, I would choose to have the most miles. So I feel like the Jazz do have the lesser of two evils, even though it's still a negative. Because uh, with those back-to-backs, I mean, those are just so much more challenging. Even if you're traveling a lot of miles, if you have time to recuperate between games, that's going to help big time. So again, I think the Jazz have the lesser of the two evils there, which is good to see, even if the most miles traveled is a bit of a negative. Um, lastly, on the positive side, one thing I really like to see is the Jazz have 25 nationally televised games. 
Um, you know, obviously a chunk of those are on uh, NBA TV, nine of those to be exact, uh, but they have 10 on ESPN, which is really awesome. And then uh, just six on TNT. Personally, I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of TNT games and their crew over ESPN myself. So wish the Jazz had gotten a few more on TNT, but still we can't really complain. It's pretty awesome to see the Jazz are, um, you know, they have the 10th most nationally televised games in the league. That's ahead of the likes of, you know, Denver, who was the number two seed in the West last year, ahead of Dallas, uh, who's a large market that typically gets a lot of games, ahead of the Brooklyn Nets, that's a, that's a large market. Obviously, if Kevin Durant were going to be healthy this year, they probably would have had more nationally televised games. Um, but still, to be above them is quite an accomplishment, more so even than the defending champion Toronto Raptors and the Spurs, who have typically, for, for a smaller market, gotten a lot of national TV exposure for their success. So it's really cool to see the Jazz having more um, you know, national TV exposure than some of these other teams. Um, that said, I think it's kind of a silly superstition because we've also seen the Jazz have some really huge wins on national TV. But I feel like there's kind of this superstition among Jazz fans that the Jazz don't live up to their potential or they seem to choke on national television. Um, whether that's true or not, whether there's any inkling of truth to that, they're going to have to get over that this year because expectations are higher. Uh, that's the reason why they're going to be you know, featured on national TV so much more often. It's going to be great for Donovan Mitchell and, and you know the rest of the Jazz to get all this extra exposure. Mitchell is already soaring in popularity. And as he continues to be featured on the national stage, it's only going to be, you know, that much more beneficial for him and the Jazz as a whole. And, you know, as they get used to this added pressure and these, these bigger stages throughout the regular season, it's only going to help more come playoff time where the stakes are elevated even higher. You know, the stage is even bigger. And I think you could easily say that, you know, obviously the win against Oklahoma City in the playoffs two years ago was enormous. But I think both years, both these past two years against the, the Houston Rockets, the Jazz were a little bit intimidated. And obviously their opponent had something, well, probably most to do with that. Uh, but I think the stage they were on and some of that inexperience had part to do with it as well. So I think the national TV games will be great for exposure, great for the brand, and also great for their playoff preparation. Um, the last negative that I would like to touch on as it relates to the Jazz schedule, and then we'll move on to our final point today, um, is just the um, the three versus four game opponent matchups. And what I mean by that is obviously, you know, you play every team in your division four times, but then the rest of the rest of the teams in your conference, you're going to play either three or four times. Um, and and that, that obviously rotates, uh, you know, in, in different seasons. So, of course, it's advantageous for your final record if you're going to play the better teams only three times and the bad teams, you know, the, the four times. You want to have those easier wins more often. But unfortunately for the Jazz, the teams that they're going to play three times include the Phoenix Suns, uh, the Sacramento Kings, the Dallas Mavericks, and the Houston Rockets. Um, and outside of the Rockets, you know, none of the Suns, Kings, or Mavericks are, are expected to be, you know, a playoff team. I guess maybe you could argue for the Kings or Mavericks if, if you think their young guns are really going to step up. The Suns, obviously, I think we all know are going to be a, a bottom dweller once again. Um, but it's kind of a bummer that especially the Suns are one of the teams that Jazz only play three times. I guess it's nice to only play the Rockets three times, but there again, the Rockets are a little bit of a wild card this year, so maybe that's not the best one. And especially when you look at the teams that the Jazz play four times, that's where it really hurts because the Jazz have to play the Clippers four times, the Lakers four times, the Warriors four times, the Spurs four times, the Pelicans, who I think are going to be a dangerous team, they'll play them four times, and then I guess the one positive is they will play the Memphis Grizzlies four times, um, that, that it should be less of a challenge, uh, but obviously I'm sure the Jazz would love to switch either one of the Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors, etc., um, out for the, the Suns or the Kings or the Mavs, be able to play the Suns four times instead of one of those teams, so that's the only other negative, and, and I mean, like I say, it could hurt their, you know, final record by a couple games because I think a lot of things even out once the season is all said and done. 
And so I guess with that being said, if you want to look at this as a positive, I mean, the Jazz will get more experience against the better teams, which yet again may help them be better prepared for the playoffs, have an extra game, have extra film against the Clippers, for example, which could be a playoff matchup under their belt. Um, so, uh, again, if we're not too concerned about the Jazz, you know, maybe having a, a two or three game wiggle room in their in their final record because they should be firmly in the playoff mix as it is. Maybe we look at this as more of a positive. Maybe we take the glass half full approach and say, well, this is awesome because the Jazz get to face these tough teams more times. Not only is that great entertainment value, but it helps them better prepare for a potential tough playoff matchup. So. Anyhow, that's my initial, you know, thoughts on the Jazz schedule. Three things I like, three things I don't like. But, you know, all in all, I think you can understand that I like it a lot more than what we've seen the last two years. Far more balanced despite the, you know, tough 22-game stretch at the beginning that still isn't as tough as things we saw in the past couple of years. The lack of back-to-backs really balances out the high number of miles traveled. And the national TV games are going to be awesome. And even though there's a few teams I wish the Jazz were playing, you know, maybe four times instead of three, I think everything came together quite well. So... Really, I think this schedule is conducive to success for the Jazz. Um, they'll have no excuse as far as the schedule goes for not finishing at a top seed in the West. Um, I, I really think that they should settle for nothing less than a top three seed. They have that potential. They have the favorable schedule to do so. Now it just comes down to whether they can execute and really accomplish that this upcoming year. So uh, let's wrap up now with point number three. I want to do a, a deep dive into some of my thoughts on Dante Exum. Point three. So I'll be honest, up until about two hours before I was getting ready to record the podcast, I had some things planned out and I was not planning to talk about Dante Exum uh, for point number three today. Um, But I read a couple of articles, one of them on Fox Sports um, by, I'll probably butcher this name, but by Olgan Ulick. And then another one on Forbes by the you know the the well-respected uh, you know jazz jazz Twitter master Andy Bailey, um, also about Dante Exum, and it just really got me thinking. You know what, what are my thoughts on Dante Exum for the upcoming season? What are my expectations? What do I believe from him? And, and so on and so forth. And um, you know before I dive into that, let me. There's also been some other talk about Dante Exum about how you know some have considered him the key to the Jazz's success, or maybe the key to the Jazz's ceiling this upcoming year. And I, I got to say, I don't agree with that at, at all. I think Exum has the potential to be, you know, a cherry on top for the Jazz, or maybe he's the one that just gets them over the hump if, if he really lives up to his potential. Um, but to say that he's the key, I, I just don't think that that's an accurate statement at all. Mainly because, I mean, the Jazz have gotten so accustomed to playing without him, um, and, and they're so used to him not being in the lineup, that it's hard to really say that he would be be the key. And, and I guess another reason why I say that is, let, let's, you know, hypothetically pretend for a moment that Dante Exum has an absolutely incredible 2019-20 season, the best we've seen him play, he reaches his potential, he's in double-figure scoring, he's playing that kind of defense we saw, you know, against James Harden in the playoffs a couple years back. Even if he does that, but Donovan Mitchell doesn't really improve, Rudy Gobert is no longer the defensive player of the year conversation for whatever reason, Kanye McDonavich, you know, don't fit, etc., etc. It's not going to matter how good Exum is because if those other things, which I would say are much more key, don't come in into place, um, then then Exum's improvements aren't going to matter that much. So for that reason, I, I, I don't see him being the key. But with that being said, I do think Dante Exum is very important. And, and what I do see is if those other things that I do consider the key, which, which I honestly think Donovan Mitchell is, is the true key to, to the Jazz, his improvement is going to be key to whether or not we're really a championship team or not. So I'll just get that out of the way. But 
if those other key things fall into place, like I mentioned, like Donovan Mitchell, like Rudy Gobert, you know, improving further, um, Conley Bogdanovich fitting seamlessly, if all those things come together, it's possible the Jazz are right on the cusp of a championship. And then if Exum also hits his potential, maybe then that's where it pushes the Jazz over the edge and they do become a championship team. So I guess in that regard, maybe that's what people refer to, or maybe that's what they're meaning to say when they say Exum is the key. Uh, maybe he's the key to getting over the edge or the key to being, you know, the final piece. But to say he's is the overall key to a championship. I just don't believe that's accurate. Um, with that said, though, as I've mentioned, I think Exum is very important, and um, or perhaps better put, he has a chance to be very important. If Exum can stay healthy, which is, is obviously become a huge if, um, and then further reach his potential, he could be critical for the Jazz. And let me just say that I honestly still believe in Dante Exum um, 100%. Uh, I'm not going to say I'm one of those overzealous Exum Islanders who, you know, thinks that he deserves, you know, tons of playing time. And I, and I disagree with how Quinn handles him and things like that. Um, a little bit more on him and Quinn relationship in a second. Um, you know, I was one that was like, look, if there's a right move and it involves trading Dante Exum, I'd be open to it. I was one that was a little bit hesitant about how much the Jazz paid him when they re-signed him uh, uh, last summer. Um, that, that said, even though there's been maybe those, those doubts there as far as those decisions that have been made or, or some of those impressions of Exum, I still 100% believe in him and I think he has the the humility he has the work ethic he has he has the drive um, to really be as good as the Jazz project him to be by no means have I given up on him and with that said let me just go on a quick little side tangent here I really feel like those that are belittling Dante Exum or criticizing him for his his you know his injury troubles well I, I just feel like it just really makes me upset and you know if you want to be mad at you know the way that Quinn's manages minutes or if you want to be mad at Dennis Lindsay for you know re-signing Dante Exum or, or you know taking a chance on Exum or or anything like that, that that's totally up to you I'm not going to tell you what to think as a fan you know at least not in that regard um, but I just I just feel like the unfair criticism of Exum is, is totally undue and, and it's a bit of a bad look um, in a lot of ways because honestly for us to think, for, for any fan to think that we're more troubled or more frustrated with Exum injuries, Exum's injuries than he is himself is, is absolutely absurd. It's really ridiculous. And he has put in so much work and he's just had so much misfortune for this to happen time after time. And through it all, he's been nothing but a professional. He's been very much loyal to the Jazz. He's been very much praising of the Jazz. So for us to sit here and criticize him for, oh man, he's never going to be healthy, oh he's such a bust, oh he's not worth anything, blah blah blah, it, it just makes me a little bit frustrated and a little upset to see that when he has worked his butt off and his setbacks have been of absolutely no fault of his own whatsoever. So I hope that a lot of the, you know, the comments on social media and the different things that, that you know Exum is hearing in the back of his head or he's happened to come across, I hope those can just go away. Um, more importantly, I hope he comes out and shows all those doubters wrong and, and shows that he's more than just you know a so-called injury-prone player and, and can really light it up this year. I think that's what every real Jazz fan wants for him as well, to be perfectly honest. And so as I was saying earlier, while you know, I've had questions about Exum, I think we're all perfectly justified in having questions about Exum, you know, wondering will he ever stay healthy? Will he ever be an impact player? Will he ever reach his potential? That's one thing and it's totally fine and very much justified, but to, but to transfer that into you know, declaring that he's a bust and declaring that he's worthless and declaring that you know, the Jazz are wasting all their resources on him, I just don't think that's justified whatsoever. I hope he totally smashes that narrative uh, th this year. So like I said, I still fully believe in Dante Exum. I believe in what he can accomplish this season. I believe he can be very important for the Jazz and maybe even help them get over that hump that I mentioned earlier. I mean, we've all seen the stretches and the flashes. You know, we, we had that stretch right before he got hurt this past season. 
Um, you know, I know it was a small sample size, but it was about 11 or 12 games where it was like Dante Exum is here. He's arrived. He's starting to show us what he can do to make this team better. Um, obviously, we had the playoff series where he defended uh, James Harden extremely well against the Houston Rockets. You know, if we take the Jazz's current offensive firepower that they have now with Conley and Bogdanovich, and we combine that with hopefully that same defensive prowess that Exum showed in that series, and we're going to have a really, really dangerous and a really, really good team on both ends of the floor. And that's really exciting to think about. Really for Dante Exum, I mean, again, he has the skills. He has his, you know, his quick first step to the basket. He's so athletic. He's so long. Really, it's just a matter of Lady Luck finally shining down on him. And, and you know, if he does stay healthy, he's going to have a ton of opportunity this season. Um, the Athletics' Tony Jones talked about him playing, you know, the one through the three position, point guard, shooting guard, small forward, um, with, with a lot of potential for playing, you know, either of those wing spots. And when you look at the Jazz roster, I mean, it makes sense that they're going to need Exum pretty significantly because um, they really don't have a clear-cut backup point guard or backup uh, shooting guard. And, and what I say by that, or excuse me, what I mean by that is like you look at Ed Davis and he is the clear backup to Rudy Gobert, for example. Or, you know, assuming Boyan is going to be starting at the three, um, obviously I think there's going to be a lot of shuffling between the three and the four with Boyan, Royce, Joe Ingles, Jeff Green, even George Nyang, etc. I mean, you really look at it as, okay, Joe Ingles is that, that backup three. That, that's pretty, you know, set in stone. But then you have like Moutier and Exum, and it's a little bit unclear, like, okay, who's Conley's, you know, clear-cut backup? Who's Donovan Mitchell's clear-cut backup? Especially the shooting guard spot, there's not really a clear-cut, okay, here's our backup two guard that, that it's very much defined, as you could say, like I said, with Ed Davis at the five. So I think we're going to see Exum a lot at that two guard spot. We'll see Exum a lot at that one guard spot. We'll see Exum, you know, playing that three position when we have, for example, Ingles slide into the four for different lineup combinations, or or maybe Bogdanovich at the four, for example, or, or a bench unit where, where we want to be, you know, smaller and faster. We might have Exum in there at the three as well in that situation. So what I'm trying to say is that Exum is, it has the versatility to play a lot of spots. And, you know, the, the Jazz are going to need him to be able to fill those positions. The Jazz are, are a deep team, um, but I feel like they kind of have some shallow points where we're putting a lot of emphasis on the on-bench players. And Exum is going to be one of those. It's going to be really important that he does that. Last thing I'll say, wrapping up about Dante Exum and the show as a whole today, um, going back to that Fox Sports article that I alluded to earlier, it talked a lot about his relationship with Coach Snyder. And I feel like this has been a little bit of a point of contention for Jazz fans is how Coach Snyder has treated Dante Exum. He's kind of given him a short leash at times and pulled him when he's made mistakes. But in that article, Exum talks a lot about how, you know, he really respects uh, Coach Quinn Snyder and the way that he does things. And I think we forget sometimes that, you know, different players react to different styles of teaching. Just like, you know, a student in a classroom, some are going to learn visually, some are going to learn by hearing. Some are going to learn by doing. Some are going to learn by, you know, a, a stricter teacher. Some are going to be learned by encouragement. It's the same thing with, with players on the court. And I feel like we should all trust Quinn Snyder enough to know that he knows what he's doing. He knows how to get through to his players. And all we've ever heard about Quinn is positive things as far as his relationship with his players, the way he manages the team, the way he builds their trust. And, and Exum spoke in detail about how he trusts and respects Quinn Snyder. And what really stood out to me is that Exum talks about how, yes, Quinn demands a lot out of him. And when he, you know, when, when Exum historically has messed up, uh, Quinn has pulled him from the game in a lot of circumstances. But Exum also talks about how he has high expectations of himself. And so I think a lot of times there's been these assumptions that, oh, look how frustrated Dante looks. He must be mad at Quinn Snyder for taking him out. Maybe there's a little bit of that. I mean, it's it's kind of a natural human thing to do when, when someone's giving you a short leash. But I think a lot 
lot of the time it was Exum feeling frustrated with himself, knowing what he's capable of, knowing he can do better. And Quinn knows that too. That's the thing is Quinn realizes more than any of us um, how important Exum can be to this team, how high um, you know Exum's potential is. And so Quinn's going to want to maximize that. He's not going to want to stifle that in any way. But I trust him and, and I trust the fact that you know since Exum respects him and since Exum has that um, you know, high demand for himself. I trust that Quinn knows what he's doing and he's preparing and improving and building Exum up in the appropriate way. So with that said, Dante Exum is a huge question mark this upcoming year. He may not be the key to a championship, but he might be the key to the Jazz reaching their utmost potential or, or the key to getting over that, that last final hump if everything else falls into place. And he's going to be very important. He's going to be relied on for a lot of minutes at a lot of different positions. And if he can stay healthy, um, it's going to be a, a huge bonus for the Jazz and, and obviously a huge bonus for him himself who hasn't been able to play in a full season since his rookie year. Well, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you so much for listening to, uh, to the show today. So have a ton of fun things ahead before the season gets underway. I still need to do my Eastern Conference preview and predictions. Those will be coming up in an upcoming episode. Um, here in a, in a couple weeks, I'm going to have an Indiana Pacers expert on to talk about Boyan Bogdanovich and what he brings to the Jazz. Still want to go through Jazz lineups and more of a schedule breakdown. Going to have some guests from the J Notes on with me as well. So be sure you're, you're subscribing on iTunes and keeping up with uh, with the JNotes.com and the J Notes podcast. I hope everybody has a great Labor Day holiday ahead enjoy the big three championship and the start of the FIBA World Cup and in all those things you're watching just keep on repping the jazz thanks guys until next time so long